Hello and welcome to the September 2019 meeting for the Google Educators Group of Ohio. This is a monthly meeting where we take a look at everything new in G Suite from the last month. We share some googly tips and tricks and answer questions related to using Google tools in school. Uh, my name is Eric Kurtz and I am a technology integration specialist at the Stark Portage Area Computer Consortium, or SPARC for short. We're an information technology center serving schools up in Northeast Ohio. And I am joined by Stephanie. Stephanie, go ahead and introduce yourself as well. Hi everyone, I'm Stephanie Howe. I'm with Pickerington Local School District. Um, it's about 20 minutes from Columbus in Ohio. And I am on Twitter, Instagram, and I also have a blog, so feel free to follow along. And I enjoy my job. I get to do all different kinds of things um, with helping students and teachers and admin use technology in powerful ways. That is fantastic. And uh, Stephanie and I have included our contact info in the welcome and introductions uh, portion of the document so you can connect with us there. Now, you heard us both say we're from Ohio, but this meeting is open to anyone, of course, in Ohio or outside of Ohio. We don't mind. Uh, anybody's welcome to join us as long as you have an interest in using Google tools in schools. Um, all of the resources for today's meeting can be found in our Google Doc editable agenda. Now, you can get to this this through our GEG Ohio website. So if you don't have the document open, head over to bit.ly slash GEG Ohio. At bit.ly slash GEG Ohio, you'll find a link to our monthly meetings. From there, you'll see a table that includes the, uh, the uh, schedule for the meetings. You'll find today's date, September 26th, and there is the agenda link um, in that table that'll get you into this document. This uh, agenda is editable, so please do feel free to add anything to this. If you have an upcoming event that you want to put in the events section, let us know about a training or conference we did not list. Um, if you're aware of an update to G Suite that we left out from this last month, throw that in as well. There's a Q&A section if you've got a question to ask the group, and a show and tell section at the end where you can share any awesome thing that you're doing in your school district or just something really neat and new that you learned about G Suite or an extension to share or a great podcast or blog or so forth. So please do feel free to type right in the document or feel free to leave comments in the document or in the um, live YouTube video. Uh, there's a chat um, feature to the right of the YouTube video. If you're watching us live, you can definitely throw comments in there as well and we'll keep an eye on those today. With all of that said, let's go ahead and jump into our agenda and let's get this meeting started. All right, so the first thing we've done is the welcome and introductions. We got that out of the way. We do want to take just a moment to talk about a couple of important links. We're not going to go through all of these. Uh, the one that I'm going to mention is the sign-in form. And I'll mention this again at the end of the meeting, too, in case some folks join us a little bit late. Um, but this is basically a simple Google form that allows you to sign in for our meeting so you can get credit for being in this meeting today. Uh, basically, what I do is afterwards, I will generate a PDF cert certificate of attendance, and I'll uh, email those out to everybody um, to give you hours for being a part of this meeting. Some folks do need to um, get hours, um, and this is one way to do that. Uh, I also use this information to share numbers with Google. So I don't give them any identifying information like people's names or anything like that, but Google does want to know how many people attend our meetings um, each month. And so this allows me to send those numbers to Google. It includes uh, the question about whether this is your first time or not. That's something Google is interested in. So please just go ahead and choose today's date for the meeting, fill this out, and 
and submit that when you get a chance. We appreciate you doing that. Um, and then for a, a newer important link, uh, Stephanie, why don't you tell us a little bit about um, the uh, podcast? And I think you also set up a, a Twitter account for GEG Ohio. Yeah, so the podcast and Twitter account are brand new for the Ohio GEG meetings. So podcasts, we know everybody's super busy and sometimes these meetings can go, you know, an hour to an hour and a half to two hours. And I know everybody's so busy. So this might be a good way to listen on your way into work or as you're mowing the yard or exercising. And you can listen through Anchor or you can listen through um, Apple. It's on Google Podcasts and it's on any of those other podcast links. Um, we did use Anchor so that way it pushes out to multiple because we know everybody uses different things and everybody has like different devices to connect to the podcast. So That's make sure you share that with your friends um, and anyone else that might be interested in listening. And then we also have a Twitter account that just kind of started. This is gonna be um, just to hopefully push out reminders to you so you know when our meetings are. Um, and I will do our best to retweet anything that you guys post. So hopefully we can get that going. Fantastic. Absolutely want to thank Stephanie for taking the lead on that and um, managing both the podcast and the Twitter account. It is greatly appreciated. Uh, and that's the idea. We just want to give people multiple ways to consume this, whatever works best for you, watching live, watching in the recorded video, listening as a podcast, uh, just checking out the document, the blog post I'll make afterwards, all those different methods. And for what it's worth, don't forget, you are allowed to speed things up. So if you're, if you're, if you're listening on a podcast, uh, most podcast apps allow you to play at a faster speed. And same thing for YouTube. Uh, if you click in the little um, gear setting in the bottom right corner of a YouTube video, you can adjust the speed. And so you can just make us talk a little bit faster and you can work through this a little bit quicker. Uh, for what it's worth, um, also, when I do, it does take a little while for me to uh, uh, get the video all processed afterwards, but um, I do put below the video, I will put links that jump to each part of the agenda so that if you uh, just want to find a specific spot in the YouTube video, um, instead of having to watch the entire thing, you can just look in the description below the video and there's time, there will be timestamps you can click on that will jump you to different spots in there. You can find the location of the topic you are most interested interested in. Fantastic. Um, next up, a little bit of updates. Uh, just heads up, we do have uh, two other ways to connect with us. Um, there's the old method, which was the uh, Google Plus community. It still exists. We've got over 2,000 members in the Google Plus community. Uh, however, Google Plus um, is uh, uh, no longer available um, for uh, personal use. You do have to use a, a G Suite uh, account, like a G Suite for Education account. And we know that has um, been uh, not something that everybody can do. Some schools don't have Google Plus turned on. And so this community still does exist. We still do share things there. You are still welcome to join this community if you would like to do so. But to make sure that we don't leave anybody out, we did set up a new Google group instead and would encourage you to follow the directions in here to go ahead and join that group. You can head over to the forum and click join the group or you can send an email to this address to join. And that's the primary way we're going to be sending out uh, information as well as through this um, GEG Ohio Google group. I would encourage you to join that and let others know so you can all stay in the loop. 
All right, I think that gets us to our upcoming events. Um, most of these, I believe, are pretty much Ohio specific. Um, so if you are listening from somewhere else, apologize. Most everything in this meeting should apply to you. Maybe not so much this part. Uh, there's only a couple of these here that I know um, about, so I will mention uh, a few, but then I think Stephanie will, will talk about most of these upcoming events. Uh, the first one that I am gonna mention is one that's coming up uh, next Monday. So if you are listening to this live, or the recording in the next couple of days, feel free to still join us. So where I work at Spark um, in North Canton, Ohio, so Northeast Ohio, we're doing a free applied digital skills workshop. We ran a whole bunch of these over the last year, year and a half here in Ohio. This is just the next one, and we're going to have more coming up too. So if you can't attend this one, there's going to be others scattered around the state that will be run. Uh, this one is uh, Monday, September 30th uh, from uh, 12.30 to uh, 3.30, um, so just an afternoon session, and uh, you can sign up here to uh, attend to that. If you want more details, all the information is in the form that is linked in there. Uh, fantastic uh, program from Google, the Applied Digital Skills Curriculum, uh, tech skills, life skills, job skills for students, and this is a great way to learn about how you can bring that back to your school and use it all totally free. Uh, Stephanie, why don't you tell us about some of the other things coming up with conferences? So the next one is Future Ready. <clears throat> this one is coming up very soon. It's in October. It's the 7th and 8th. In Future Ready, they have um, a great initiative for schools, and they will be up at in Kalahari. So this conference kind of um, is for, you know, tech leaders, coaches, principals, librarians. They've got different strands. And there's different breakout sessions depending on your role in your district. And then you get to kind of collaborate with others and meet other districts along with collaborating with your own district. Um, it's a very great conference, so I highly suggest you can get a team with your district to attend. Fantastic. Uh, now, Learn21 is up next. That's one I know, Stephanie, you said you hadn't been to before. I've been to this one for several years, uh, Learn21, um, down in, in Columbus, um, and it is a conference that straddles the tech integration and the admin, uh, the tech admin side of things. So this is one that kind of hits both ends of the spectrum there. If you are going down as a person who helps with tech integration, you're gonna pick up some neat ideas on how to support your teachers. But at the same time, they have a, a big focus also on um, the uh, more of the uh, technology director end of things as far as uh, managing your network and managing your computers. Uh, so, uh, it's, so it's a combination of both of those and you can find something to plug into either way. Uh, all right. And then the next one I wanted to highlight was the Teach Better Conference. <clears throat> this one is on November 8th through the 9th. They have some amazing guest speakers coming. And so this conference, it's their first ever conference. If you've never heard of Teach Better, they are in Ohio. Um, I believe they're based out of Akron. And they've got, you know, Dave Burgess coming, Shelly Burgess coming. And they just released a new book too. Um, so it's about personalized learning and how you can use, you know, technology to integrate into those classrooms. There's going to be keynotes, there's going to be different breakout sessions, and it's all about the student and that personalized learning for that student. That is fantastic. Very good. Um, 
I know overlapping that, so you could uh, go from one right to the other, uh, is uh, there's going to be a Google Summit down in the Columbus area. So EdTech team is putting on a uh, uh, Ohio Google Summit November uh, 9th and 10th. Um, and that is going to be held in uh, Dublin City Schools, so just outside of Columbus. If you're interested in uh, more details on that, the link will take you out to there, and you can find all of the information for that uh, summit that was just announced a couple of days ago. Anything else there, Stephanie, that you're aware of that you want to comment on with some of these upcoming conferences? Um, I have not been to some of the other ones that have been added. Um, I think some of our community members that are part of GEG has added those. So again, keep adding to this. Um, that way we all can stay in the loop. Fantastic. Love it. Thanks so much, everybody, for doing that. All right. Well, that brings us up to the uh, main portion of what we do these meetings for, which is to catch everybody up on what's new in G Suite for Education because Google's a moving target and we love that about them. They're constantly innovating and releasing new features, but it's also hard to keep up with. It's easy for things to fall through the cracks and we're busy. Life's crazy. And next thing you know, you're like, where'd that button come from? <laughs> so we do our best to keep an eye, uh, Stephanie and I both, uh, reading the Google blogs, watching their Twitter account, trying to see anything that gets uh, announced. And um, we have in this document collected anything that we saw over the last month. So anything from the last meeting. So some of these do are listed as August, but it's because that was after our last meeting. So anything between the two meetings. Um, now we're not gonna go through every one of these just because there's so many. The ones that are highlighted in bold are the ones that Stephanie and I thought, eh, these kind of jumped out at us as you know, definitely something we wanted to take a moment to at least mention. Having said that, if anybody is interested in something that we don't have highlighted here, please let us know. Uh, throw something in the comments or throw it in the chat and say, hey, let's, let's talk about that and we'll be happy to do so. Uh, but but Stephanie, why don't you go ahead and get us kicked off with uh, something that's new from the last month. Um, so the first thing we're going to talk about is the switch to a blank screen with Google Slides. And they've got a couple of features coming. Um, I do not have like the advanced feature. So I don't know if you do, Eric, to show. I do. Um, um, and I think it might be in the gift too that they have. Yeah, it's, it's only on some of my accounts though. So if I go to, it's in that's weird. Yeah, this is still rolling out. Um, yeah. I will drag over a, um, another uh, screen here and see if I can show this. So, or grab a different browser. So this is my um, trainer account. And I believe this is on my trainer account. Now, if I go into present and then if I go down to here, so yeah. Did you want to talk about yeah. those features? So once you go ahead and you hit present and you're in your presenting mode for um, Google Slides, you can go and you can go ahead and make it so it auto advances every time when you're presenting and looping. So there you can see on Eric, he's kind of showing it. And then you can decide how you want it to loop. So do you want it to be every second, every two second? And before the workaround was going to publish to the web, and getting that link and choosing your time that way. But now you can do it right when you hit present, which will be really nice because we make a lot of stop motion videos um, where I work and with the middle school students. And this just makes it even easier where they can go to um, present and then they can pick how many seconds they need each of their stop motion videos. And then they can go ahead and do that. And then they can also loop it. So I'm very excited for this feature for students and with that creation that they can do. Um, another part of this is um, keyboard shortcuts. So if you hit 
um, B when you're presenting, it yep. should turn black. Sure and does. if you hit W, it's going to turn white. Yes, it does. So this can help as you're, you know, teaching students, if you're in the middle of a Google slide and you kind of need to grab everybody's attention, you could use this to kind of pause everybody's screen so that they can look up and you can kind of refocus everybody's attention to you. Um, or you could stop and ask different questions throughout, different ways that you could use that feature. How nice. Yeah, that is great. Um, it's, it's nice that we have the, uh, the, the auto advanced timings and the loopings built into the presentation now in case you forget to publish it to the web or just don't want to go that route. That's a lot quicker. And the uh, black and white screen option. Uh, that's great. Great way to uh, get everybody's focus back um, or to pull the glass together. Love it. Good stuff. All right, uh, the next one up um, that we're going to mention was a, a new feature that came to Android. And I know you say, well, Eric, I don't have an Android phone. But I think it's worth mentioning just because a lot of times when we see a new feature like this roll out, it means it's going to go broader. It's just maybe they're starting with this. And so here where it says new version of Android brings live captioning. That's what I wanted to uh, talk a little bit about was there's a bunch of things in this blog post that talks about all these new features in Android. Which is which is all fine. This is all this is certainly all good, um, but and I don't know that this video will actually play here. Um, if I can jump up to a spot to show this in action, um, I'll see if I can at least scrub to a spot where I can show you where it's happening. There we go. Um, so the idea is this: that. Uh, Android now has a feature called live captioning, so that anytime you are watching any kind of content. Um, on your phone. Um, if it's a YouTube video, if it's something that's been recorded, if it's anything that has audio with it, you can turn on live captioning. And what it will do is give you a, you know, uh, give you subtitles, give you live captioning of the audio that's coming out of your phone, even if that, you know, audio did not have captioning to begin with in the first place. Um, and they've got a short video here that they've linked in that is just really impactful to show you what a difference this can make in someone's life when they are wanting to be a part of the uh, conversation that's going on, when they want to be able to uh, follow along with what is playing in the video or with what uh, uh, whatever audio is coming out of your phone. So right now, it's only in Android. It's only in a certain, I think the newest version of Android. So I realize that doesn't apply to everybody. But anytime I see accessibility tools like this start to roll out, it encourages me because I, I know this is a technology that they're, you know, working on and it will continue to spread so that we see this more and more. And what I'm looking forward to is the day when this is just a standard thing that on any mobile device or a Chromebook or whatever, there will be a button, no matter what you're using, you can just click and it will basically live caption the world for you. So if somebody's talking or if you're, you know, if you're listening to something played, uh, it'll live caption everything around you. And so we're getting closer and closer to that all the time. And uh, that is exciting. Happy for that. All right. Well, what's up next there, Stephanie? The next one is word count. So now you can finally, finally see word count in a Google Doc, which is super exciting. Um, before you know you had to go to, I think it was insert, and then go to word count and you could see, or maybe it was under tools. Under tools, tools. yeah, you get the pop-up in the past, right. And so it'd be the pop-up button. But now if you click that box under tools and you go to word count, you can now see the words down in the bottom of your screen. 
and it will tell you exactly how many words are in your document. And so I've been playing around with this for a little bit and it's actually really handy when you do have different um, requirements for students and they need to see how many words they are typing in their document. That's you, can, you can see words, characters, um, you can see characters excluding spaces, and you can also hide it again. And you can also see the pages. That's awesome. In that drop down area, arrow. And, you know, although that's certainly helpful, just, you know, as a general productivity thing to know, like, okay, you know, I need to make sure I've, you know, written my thousand words for this, you know, paper or whatever. Um, there are some neat things you can do with this where you can put limitations on students writing that are a lot shorter than a thousand words. You can say, hey, guys, we're going to say you've only got 200 characters or you've only got, you know, 25 words and you need to explain photosynthesis or you need to summarize this book or you need to explain a concept from class. And by reducing it to such a small amount, you know, like maybe say it can't be more than a Twitter post, you know, so what, 280 characters or something. And then people, and the students would have to really think through, am I grabbing the most essential information to, to share here? And what is the best word to use? So I'm picking vocabulary that's powerful um, and I'm communicating a lot of information in a small space. Uh, I do have a blog post about doing that uh, from years back and it dealt with using, you know, the old word count option through the tools, but just even having it pop up at the bottom, they would make that even easier for a student to be monitoring that while they're working on such an activity. And if you highlight a paragraph or a sentence, it will change the total words. So it will show in this paragraph, there are 50 Very words. Good. So that's Very kind of nice too, if you need it to break down, just make sure the students are highlighting that paragraph. And if anybody is wondering where that tool is at because you haven't found it yet, well, it hasn't rolled out to everybody yet. So on my account that I'm looking at right here, for example, I don't have that yet. If I do word count, oh no, I did come you up now. It. There <laughs> it is. Didn't have it the other day. Well, then we should I should have had it up the whole time. <laughs> there it is. It is rolling out. So yes, it is here now. So I do I do have it now uh, on that account, which yep, is great. And then you so, click the arrow and more options will pop up. Yeah. Oh, I should have had that up the whole time. There it is. There's the characters and the words. And of course, like you said, if I highlight just certain things, it's smart enough to go, well, that's only 28 words or 185 characters. Sweet. Good stuff. Looks like I can go back in and probably turn that off by unchecking it. I sure can. Thanks, Stephanie. Yeah. All right, next up, um, Chrome version 77 has a new feature built into it that can send web pages back and forth to your other devices that you're on. Now, uh, it has to be devices that you're signed into. So like, for example, uh, this is my work account right now. So if I come up and I right click on this tab for our agenda, and I come down to send to your devices, it'll see two things that I'm signed into. This is a laptop and this is a Chromebook that I'm signed into. If instead I were to grab my personal account and bring that over, and uh, actually I'll just go ahead and copy our agenda link. It'll be fine, just, I'll pull that up and put our agenda link in here. Let's say I wanted to send this uh, agenda uh, over to one of my uh, personal devices. So if I come up here and I right click on the tab, this time when I say send to your devices, I'm still getting the Chromebook, I'm still getting the laptop, but now I'm also getting my Samsung Galaxy phone. And so um, it's really, it's really slick. I mean, any 
tab that you want to send somewhere, just right click on the tab and send it to any device that you're currently logged into. It takes just a little bit of time, so don't expect it to just pop up immediately. Um, I've seen it take long, you know, five to 10 seconds. So it's not like really fast, but it takes just a little bit of time and then you'll just get a notification that pops up on your phone that says, hey, um, you've, you've sent this page over to here, do you wanna open it up? It works the other way too. You can also uh, do this from your uh, mobile device over to your desktop as well. All right. And before I was emailing oh, links to myself, so I yeah. think that tool will become very handy, especially when you're looking on your phone, you know, and you can send it vice versa. Yeah, it is. It is really nice. Cause I mean, I'll use my phone to sometimes do like text to speech. You know, I'll, I'll use uh, whether it's pocket, whether it's, you know, uh, Google go, I'll use one of those to read things aloud. And uh, so I might just boop shoot something over to my phone real fast, then I can have it read aloud to me there. Or if I'm, you know, going to be, you know, out driving and I just want to be able to have it read to me while I'm doing that, boom, 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 send it over to that. So very, very nice. Yeah. All right. What's up the next, next? The next one is Google Expeditions. So what they are doing is you are able to send a link or a QR code to the students or whoever with, um, about the tour or scene that might be in a Google Expeditions. So they just added over the summer the Google Chrome um, app for Google Expeditions. So now students can look at it on Chromebooks if they have that app store available on their Chromebook. So I see this becoming very easy and quick for students to use where you can just put that link maybe in Google Classroom and then hopefully it would open up in Google Expeditions and then students can see that location or part of the setting of what you're trying to explain to them. And they can actually go to these different locations around the world. That's great. How convenient. Uh, so in the past, you pretty much have to go to the Expeditions app and wait to have an expedition to join or search for one. Um, in this case, giving somebody a link, boom, they can go straight to the expedition or like I said, even better, right into a specific scene that you're wanting them to get to. And then nice. students can kind of view it at their own pace. I know when you have the guide, you're kind of guiding them along. Right. So they kind of have to move as you go. Where now students just click the link. Once they're done, they're done. If they want to take more time to explore, they can. Very and nice. some of the expeditions too, like you don't want to go to all seven locations that they have in that tour. So now you could just send out that one scene to students. Makes sense. Good stuff. All right, the next one that is up is um, something that at first may not sound like a educational technology K-12 sort of thing, um, but I definitely think it has its place. And that is Google launched this, this month the Recover Together website about addiction recovery. Uh, this is certainly something we're hoping is not something that is needed by your students, but the reality of it is there certainly are uh, many many uh, young students, uh, you know, teens who are affected by, by addiction. Um, and it could be that they themselves are dealing with addiction, but it could also be that they're in a family where, where addiction has had a, a major impact um, on, on their family. It could be, could be a parent, could be a sibling. Um, and so uh, the new website has been set up and it is recovertogether.withgoogle.com. And there's a lot of resources here. Um, there's a lot of videos to help normalize the conversation about addiction and, and recovery. And those resources are great. But something that really jumped out to me was this fantastic map they've put together here where we can go in 
and it looks like I'll have to control scroll to move. There we go. We can come in here and say, okay, I'm looking for a recovery um, uh, based meeting um, somewhere here in Ohio. So I live up in Northeast Ohio. So if I start scrolling in here, see if I can get to my neck of the woods up here. There we go. And as I start scrolling in, I said, I'm sort of in the Uniontown area. So we'll just kind of come to this spot here, North Canton, Uniontown area, I can see that there are these meetings. And if I give a click on there, I'll find out more about it. In this case, this is an Al-Anon meeting. So that would fit well with what we described about a, a student who maybe has a parent who is uh, struggling with um, alcohol or drug addiction, and uh, they need support as a family member who is affected by that. Um, I think the other one here is also Al-Anon, but if I go down further, I'll probably catch some different ones as well. Um, and then if any of these sound interesting to you, like, okay, I, I want to learn more about that meeting, you can then, you know, click on the link there, and it will actually open up. Oh, I think it was... Hmm. Yeah, it is giving us the date and time, I think. Oh, I just click on the time. That's it. Sorry about that. If I click on the time, it then takes you to the page where you get the full details on where this meeting is held, who you need to contact, if you have questions about it. Um, but just to have all of that information in one place, uh, really, really, really important uh, that that resource has been developed. And uh, just you look at that map and no matter where you're at, there is somebody there to help and to connect with. So thanks Google for putting that out there this month. All right, looks like the next thing on here, Stephanie, was another live caption thing. So I, I don't know if we need to go into that specifically, very similar to what we talked about earlier with um, the captioning um, in Android. This is just basically same thing in Hangouts. I uh, know we're not using Hangouts anymore ourselves for these meetings, we're using Zoom, but uh, there's been a live caption feature uh, also added to Hangouts. But, uh, yeah, which just makes it more accessible for students and anybody else. I mean, you might not have, you know, be hearing impaired, but it can still help everybody. So I always try to use it whenever I am working with students if I have that option. Absolutely. All right. Well, what's up next? The next one is line spacing for text. So you can now customize your line spacing um, in a Google I think, is it in all the Googles? Um, good question. I, I, know, like, I know for, for sure, sure it's in lots and slides. Okay. I think it's docs and slides. Docs and slides, you got it. I think it is. It could be yes. more coming soon, but for right now it's in docs and slides. And it just allows you to kind of have more control of the line spacing and how you want your appearance for your different fonts and how the users can see different things. Um, so it's kind of visually helpful for um, students and whoever you're presenting to. Yeah, and that's always great whenever we close some of that gap between Google Docs and other productivity tools, you know, specifically Microsoft Office. Uh, we, we, we have a lot of schools that have moved from Office to G Suite. Um, in some cases, it's the only option uh, for, for the students. Sometimes the same thing for the staff. And as much as we can get parity between those uh, tools, the better that is. And in the past, you're right, if you went to format your line spacing, it was either single, double, or you had you know a couple other options there was a 1.5 a 1.15 but if that didn't match your need sorry <laughs> that's mm -hmm. what the spacing was and now we can go to custom spacing and uh, put that wherever you need it to be so 
So you just go to format, line spacing, and then just hit custom spacing, and then you can change it to whatever you feel you need. Neat. Uh, this next one, I'll probably have to pull over another one of my accounts again, because I don't think this one is, yeah, this one is not showing up in this account yet. And that is uh, Google Docs adding link preview feature. So the idea behind this is if you have a link in a Google document, you click on it right now, what do you get? You get the address of where it goes, but that's all you get. Well, let's try this in my other account. I'll pull my trainer account back up here. And because I think it's rolled out to this account. So if we come here to my trainer account and we scroll on down to something where there's a link, when I come here and click on the link, instead of just getting the address, I'm now getting the title of the page. I'm getting the address and I'm getting a snippet. I'm getting the very beginning of what that page has on it. So just a lot more information rather than, you know, saying, oh, I think this is the link I want. Well, hover above it. And you're like, yes, that is exactly what I was hoping to get to. Or, oh, no, 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 that's, that's not the one I thought it was. Um, so this has not made it out again to everybody's um, uh, accounts. It is not on my work account yet, but it does show up here on, for example, my trainer account. And it's nice too, because I know, I think we talked about this last month, but they also cleaned up, you know, where you copy the link. Um, where you can delete the link. Right. So they've made it a lot more cleaner and that fresher visual for students and pretty much everybody. Good deal. Um, do you know about this next one? Uh, some of these updates to Chrome. Um, this one I'm kind of excited about because you know how I am about my tabs. <laughs> okay. So, um, on an Android, you can now have your tabs go into kind of like folders. Um, and so you can drag them and kind of organize them to look better um, so you can search a lot quicker. Well, how very nice. Just drag and drop the tabs and put them into little groups there. That yeah, looks And I that think it's great. just on an, it might be iOS. Yeah, I think that is, at the moment, that looks like that is just on Android for the tabs. Yeah, yeah. but I'm sure, again, it will come out and be available. All right. Also, on Chrome, you can kind of scroll at the top. I don't have this yet. I don't either. Well, to see, uh, it looks like they're kind of like a pin tab. So you have more space to keep adding more tabs to your Chrome. And then you can kind of search just like you did with the link and you'll get a more details about what that is. Yeah. And according to that post, they said right now, those who have it will get the title and the link, but they're going to be doing an actual thumbnail preview that is to come with this. So just by hovering above the tabs, you'll actually get a quick little thumbnail preview of what that tab is. That way it's a little bit quicker and easier to identify the tab you're trying to switch over to. Very nice. And then also they're adding, you know, getting your answers quicker. So they're adding yes. you type in your, you know, the definition of something and then you'll get the answer right in that address bar. So we won't even have to go to the Google search result page to see that. When possible, answers will be given right inside of the address bar in part of part of autocomplete, right in there. Yeah. And it looks like too they're adding the translating right into um, the search engine too. Very, very nice. Awesome. And it looks like a little customization of colors for Chrome mm -hmm. as well at the very end there. Boy, a lot of updates to Chrome. Good stuff. All right. Cleaning up a couple of my tabs because now I'm starting to feel bad. Stephanie is uh, <laughs> definitely uh, uh, 
somebody who's very careful with her tabs and mine give her anxiety. So oh, you're fine. <laughs> you mine there. All right. Uh, next up, and it looks like we're about at the end of the updates. Um, uh, Google Assistant coming to more Chromebooks. So Google Assistant is like, you know, Google's version of like Siri. Uh, it's the I don't want to say the words because I'm afraid if I say the words, it'll actually make Google start talking, but it's when you say those words and then Google responds to you. Uh, usually we think about Google Assistant as being on your phone or being on a Google Home, um, but they started rolling out Google Assistant to Chrome OS as well. And now more Chromebooks have been um, updated to allow for Google Assistant to run. I did try this out on uh, my Chromebook, I have a, well, uh, maybe it's about a two-year-old Chromebook, um, and it was, it worked fantastic. Uh, then I grabbed one of my older Chromebooks, maybe from uh, five years ago or so, and no, it, it was not included in that update. But the idea is that on your Chromebook now, you'd be able to activate the Google Assistant and then just talk. You know, you could tell Google to create a new document just by saying the words, and it'll hear you, listen to you, and create the document. Um, and of course, you could use all of the features that come with Google Assistant. There's, a, you know, hundreds of things you can ask it and say to it, and it will do uh, those things for you. But again, we're just getting back to accessibility and accommodations and uh, making things more human, you know, breaking down that boundary between us and technology where we're getting closer and closer to those, you know, sci-fi type movies of the past where you just talk to your computer and it does the things you need it to do. Uh, the assistant now rolling out too many more Chromebooks, which will be fantastic for schools to have that option available to them. Good stuff. All right. Well, I know we didn't cover everything in the um, updates. So if there's something we did not cover that you're interested in, please feel free to leave a comment in the YouTube chat or throw something in the document here as well. If you um, have some feedback or some interest in any of these, uh, but at the very least, feel free to click the links, check out the things that uh, maybe we, we didn't highlight here and uh, you can explore those on your own. All right, well, let's move on to the next uh, portion of our meeting, uh, which is Q&A. So um, basically we'd love for you guys, anytime you have a question to throw it in this uh, document each month because uh, somebody out there, I'm pretty sure is going to have, is going to have an answer. We've got so many uh, people that use G Suite um, and uh, somebody probably is sharing your experience. Um, I see that our, our first question was about expeditions and uh, whether there's a spreadsheet out there that has them all organized by grade level. Um, I don't know about grade level. I went ahead and threw in this answer when I saw this earlier. The only one I'm aware of is that master spreadsheet that Google has shared out um, that will take you out to um, this. Here it comes. Um, and this is where they have all of the different expeditions that they've done, which I think is over 300, isn't it? Let me see, how far down does this go? 360-ish expeditions. And this includes things like the title and the different scenes and, you know, what location it takes place in and uh, the description of it, if there's materials that go along with it, uh, are there translations? 
but I don't see anything here that would specifically then connect that to grade levels or standards or common core. Uh, so you could easily do that uh, connection there. Uh, Stephanie, are you aware of any resources out there that go, has somebody? I have not found anything yet. And our district was talking about this question too, because I think that Google sheet can be overwhelming for a teacher that isn't familiar with, Google expeditions. And so one of my tricks is always using command F and then I tell them type in what you're trying to look for. Excellent. And then from there we'll filter through to see if there's any expeditions that might work. Um, Such a good idea. But I'm sure a lot of people would benefit from having a Google expedition sorted out by grade. Um, I think some of the issues with that is like our ELA cur curriculum might be different than another school's curriculum. So we might have a book that, you know, the setting takes place in Australia, where another district, same um, grade, but their book might take place in another location. So you kind of have that issue. Um, but I feel like the science and social studies standards are probably pretty similar. So that would be helpful for those two grade band, like those two grade in subjects. Well, well that's always a, always a great um, suggestion, the, con the uh, control F feature to find and say, yeah, you know, I'm looking for something about, you know, the moon. Well, there you go. Here's 16 hits. Um, you know, it may hit in several places on the same one, but it looks like we've got one on astronomy, beautiful nature, birds, um, and on and on some somewhere in there the word moon you know showed up for example and that would allow us to at least narrow down and say yeah the space race the space station museum ah uh, that might be one that would be good for me to take a look at thanks for mentioning that awesome um contacts i know stephanie you you do a bit with contacts I think last time you'd even talked a little bit about that um Let's let's put our heads together and see what we think about this question. Uh, looks like uh, we have a question saying that it would be great if you could directly add contacts to a contact label when importing. Teachers are having great pain trying to set up parent groups manually. Uh, used to be able to copy and paste multiple emails into a group or label. Now that's not possible. I do feel that pain. I mean, I do remember in the way contacts used to be, you could go to um, uh, the uh, the a way they call them labels now, but go to the group uh, section. And yeah, there was, there was a copy paste spot. You could have a box and you could just blurf, paste them in and add them all at once. Um, any details on that, Stephanie, from your experience with contacts? So I'm assuming the contacts are already in Google contacts. I'm assuming, I don't know for sure though. So if this person is on and they could add to the chat, that'd be great. Um, but I know you can check the boxes and then you can drag those three contacts or five contacts to that label, but I'm not sure. I know it, it like does it by ABC order. So I don't know if they are importing like how I'm assuming they're not probably importing, you know, right in line like we would like. Right. So, um, so basically, yeah, with the new contacts, it is different. It is different than it used to be. Um, if I come here to a label, which is what they now call a contact group, and these are personal contact groups, not to be confused with like Google groups. Um, now, yeah, to get somebody into a contact group, they have to already be in your contacts. 
So they have to be in the contacts and then from the contacts, you can then select them and then add them to the group. It used to be there was a button here that you could just paste in, blurf, you know, a whole, a whole list of emails. Now we do have the import option down here, uh, but um, as, uh, as I think is sort of the pain point here, if we go here to select a file to import, um, that will put them into our contacts, but I'm guessing what we're understanding is it doesn't then automatically put them into a label as well, that that still needs to be a separate step. Again, unless somebody knows differently, I have seen that to be the case that it is a little bit more time consuming that you have to have them in your contacts and then from your contacts, you can go down and check, you know, all the contacts that you, you know, need and then you can go to your label option and you can say, oh, they're in this label, I wanna add them, you know, to this other label as well. So you have to have them in the contacts, then select, them, then add them to the label, as opposed to um, in the past where you could copy and paste a whole list right into there. That um, does feel to me like something that is missing from the new version of Contacts. Yeah, Eric, you might know this better. Um, with groups, could they set up a group and copy and paste? Sure thing. Email yeah. using groups. So when you're if... when you're doing groups, there's multiple ways you can add members to a group. Um, so when it comes to Google Groups, and again, I'm trying to be careful as I'm putting things up on the screen. I don't want to put people's email addresses up on the screen, so that's why I'm kind of clicking gingerly here so that I don't. Uh, I, I never want to uh, put somebody's info up up on the screen. Um, but Google Groups, sure. Um, if I were to, um, and I, I can probably pull up some of these um, relatively safely, I'll be careful to jump to the right screens here. So like this is a uh, Google group we have for our online learning community. Um, there's a member section in there and there is a uh, direct add members uh, page. Um, and this allows me to paste in email addresses that I would like to add as members to that group. So if I go to Google Groups itself, yes, I can paste in a comma separated list of addresses. Um, if you do it this method, you do have to throw in a welcome message to say, hey, you've been added to this group, which makes sense. That's, that's a reasonable thing to do. Um, there is a limit on how many you can paste in at once. I'm gonna draw a blank, it's 10 or 15 or something like that. You, so you have to, it'll yell at you and you'll have to do multiples when you paste them in. Uh, the other option, though um, instead of that would be to go into your admin console now I realize not everybody can do this um, and as long as you've got um, Google Groups access you can go to Google Groups create a group manage a group I realize not everybody is going to have admin access but there is another way to put people into a group and that's through the admin console and if it's a big process you're doing this could be a lot faster so if I go into my admin console and I go to Google Groups um, and if I you know set up a group in here. And again, I don't want to necessarily try to see one that's a test or something like that here. So that again, I'm not putting uh, uh, we'll go see. Yeah, there we go. Um, if I open up this one and I go to my members and um, I say, I want to um, click over the little plus button here and I say, I want to bulk upload members. 
I can upload a CSV and there's not a limit to that. So that one's not going to say, oh, you can only upload 10 or 15 at a time. You can upload, you know, 300 people in a CSV and just boom, put them all into that group all at once. But that's done in the and the admin console, which I realize not everybody's going to have access to. Uh, you should have access to Google Groups if that's been turned on for you in your district, but not necessarily the admin console. And there are still other options. A third option is using a tool called GAM, Google Apps Manager. Um, it's a command line tool. Um, I use it on occasion when I need to do a bunch of changes um, that would take a long time to go through and manually do, you know, one by one. Uh, GAM can also do uh, auto, can do updating of, of groups for you. So um, all those options are possible and would certainly be another way if you're, I guess that the thing when it comes to, you know, how do you know, which do you pick? Do you pick Google groups or do you pick personal contact groups? Well, in the end, there are some key differences. The key differences would include um, a personal contact group only you can use. So if I put something in contacts, not in Google groups, it's just for me. I can't share that with somebody else. Now I can export it and they can import it, but it's not live. It's a one-time dump. I'm going to dump the list. They can import it. But if next week I add a new person to it, that other person who got my list last week doesn't get the update, you know, uh, whereas Google Groups is a live uh, shared group that could just be for you if you want, but it could be shared to other teachers. It can be shared across the entire domain as much as you want. And so that's one of the big first questions is who needs to use it? Are you the only one sending to this group of people? Eh, just use your personal contact group probably. Or, is a, or a bunch of people sending to it, well, then maybe a Google group is important. That's one of the key things. The second key thing would be how many people are you trying to reach with this? Um, and the reason why that's important is because there are limits on how many people you can put in an email and how many people you can share a document with. So for example, if I went to share a Google document and I said, hey, let's share this document, I can only put 200 unique email addresses in here. And even if I do it in steps, 20 today, 15 tomorrow, once you hit 200 unique email addresses, you cannot share it with anybody else beyond that. Now, of course, I could share it as a link to anybody in the world, but if I'm saying specifically share it with certain people, you're limited at 200. Well, that's where Google Groups comes in nice because a Google Group is an email address. It's, you know school at myschool.org, you know, it's a single email address that represents 500 people maybe. And so if I go to share and I put in a Google group email address, it only counts as one email address of the 200 I could put in there, but I just reached 500 people because I've got 500 people in that Google group. If I do that with a contact group, doesn't work that way. If you've ever tried that, when you go to put in a contact group, it goes blurf and it expands. <laughs> when you put in the contact group, it actually expands out and lists all of the individual people that are in that group. So uh, there's other things that make a difference, but I would say those are some of the key things is, is it just you using it or a bunch of people? And how many people are you trying to reach? Now, beyond that, Google Groups also is more advanced in that there's lots of permissions. So contacts are pretty straightforward. Google Groups, you can turn on and off a million things like, well, is it just send only or can other people, can people just receive or can other people in the group send to it? Lots of options like that. So and in the chat added some notes, which I think is a good idea too. And um, someone else is typing in the, our notes. But importing a CVS file, I think it does create an imported on whatever date you import. How wonderful. 
Um, so I think it does. I don't know for sure. And I think Dan doesn't know for, I don't know if Dan's tested it out yet. Um, but thank that's you, Dan, good. for reminding us of that, because that's true. If you can do it right on a Google sheet before adding it to contacts and then import that Google sheet to your contacts, that should be your workaround. Um, I know it's really annoying, but I think that would work. That is absolutely worth poking a stick at. So yeah, whoever can take a moment and try that out and see how that works. Wouldn't that be great? Yeah, just import your, your, your CSV file that has, you know, first name, last name, email address. Um, and if that goes into a label called imported on such a date, then you could just rename the label and ta-da, you've got a jump start. If you need to add people later, okay, but wow, that would be fantastic. Good stuff. And then I see there's a, a link to uh, Jeremy. Jeremy's uh, uh, post about uh, creating a Google contact group with a sheet. Jeremy Badinger is a uh, awesome, awesome uh, ed tech uh, guy out there. I've known Jeremy for several years online and met him a few times in person. And he always does a great job sharing things. There's even something in show and tell later from Jeremy that I added in. Uh, but he's got a post here about creating uh, a Google spreadsheet and then going ahead and um, sending that, it looks like, over to your contacts. And it says it will it'll create a new group on the left. Oh, looks like this is, <clears throat> looks like this may be a solution for us. Very nice. See? And I always had my parents fill out a Google form so I didn't have to type in their email addresses. So I would send out the link to our Google form and our um, back to school information. Right. I know it's getting kind of late for all of that. Sure. If you have a parent night coming up, that'd be perfect. And the parents would just type their email address on a computer or a Google or an iPad if we had that laying around. Right. And then I had all their emails um, into a Google sheet and then you could copy and paste it right to your email. You could add that. Um, import it right into contact. So there's multiple ways. I think we just have to think around, which is kind of a pain, right. but yeah. at least you'll have all your contacts in a Google sheet if something ever happened to your contacts. That is great. And when Stephanie says she has all her parents, when she says she has her parents fill that out, she means her students' parents, not her parents. She doesn't actually oh, yeah. make <laughs> that. No, I was just teasing. But uh, yeah, she doesn't, you know, hey, mom and dad, <clears throat> I need you to take care of this for me. Uh, and yep, it works, it says. <laughs> All right. Well, hey, job well done, folks. Everybody give yourself a pat on the back. We have, <laughs> have solved the problem today. Uh, other than that, uh, I do see a, a comment here or a question here about uh, the G Suite Admin Console getting a UI update for enterprise. Is that also for G Suite for Education? Well, I definitely know the um, Admin Console uh, has absolutely been getting um, some facelifts. Um, so uh, this is what the admin console looks like now. Um, and um, yes, it definitely does look different. Um, it, it, there, there have been a bunch of changes um, to more of a <clears throat> material theme design, but also just <laughs> the way things are laid out. Like for example, um, let's say you need to go in and push out extensions to your Chromebook. Your Chromebooks it looks really different now. If I go into my devices and then I go into um, uh, Chrome management, give it a section to open, open up here. There we go, Chrome management. And then if I want to go into um, my apps and extensions, that's been broken out. So that didn't used to be broken out like that. Now that's actually broken out separately. And now it comes up with 
your apps and extensions here. And down the side here, you've got your different OUs. That is not how that used to be. It is, it is a very different setup now. Uh, so if I go in to um, you know, my students here, um, I'll see which apps and extensions are turned on for them. And I can come down here to add others, whether it's you know, from the Chrome Web Store for like a uh, Android device or a Chromebook that runs Android apps, whether it's from Google Play, whether it's from um, a Chrome app or extension, um, whether it's by URL. So a lot of, lot of uh, changes in the layout there. So don't be surprised when you get into the admin console and things do look different. That is correct. Oh, hey, this one definitely comes up every now and then. If you have a Google group set up, like all the staff in your building, you want to exclude one person from that because it's what, their birthday, I'm assuming? We're going to assume it's something positive, not that, hey, don't <laughs> tell John he's being fired on Friday. Uh, I'm sure we're doing this because it's a, it's a birthday party and we don't want John to know. Uh, could you do that for just a one-time email? Um, <laughs> good question. I mean, yeah, you could go into the Google group and you could do a couple things. So um, you could go into the Google group um, and remove them and put them back, but I don't think you'd really have to do that. I think it'd be more a matter of just disabling um, their email temporarily. And um, again, I'm, I don't know that I can really show you guys this without putting people's emails up on the screen. So I'll just describe it. Uh, but if you go into your members um, in one of your, one of your, your Google groups um, and you choose a member, uh, you can go up into the menu options and you can choose how they receive updates from the group. And there's like four options. There's the like every update. So every time an email is sent out, they get the email. Then there's like, um, there's one called Digest, um, which gives you, I think, um, a bunch of them kind of grouped together. Then there's like a once a day that does something similar to that. But there's also no email. So you could go in to the, um, to the Google group, go into the members, and you could change as the group's admin. You could choose the person, go up into the settings and say, for right now, I'm going to switch them over to no email. And then if you send something out, they're not going to get that message. And then you could go back in later and switch them back to all email. And then they would start getting messages again. So you could do that. Now, certainly you could also remove them from the group entirely if you had to, and then add them back in but probably just switching their mail delivery preference temporarily would, um, would suffice for that. Unless somebody else has another idea on that, that'd probably be the least intrusive thing to do. All right, well, let's pause there for a second before we move into our final section, which is show and tell. Anything else we missed in Q&A, looking in the document, looking in the YouTube chat, Think we got it all. I think, so. I think we got everybody. I appreciate everyone adding to the notes and questions and chat because I've just learned a lot of things. <laughs> I have too. <laughs> this is great. Learn something new every day, as Anthony Luskery, my old partner in crime, always used to say. Learn something new every day. Um, we just got a question come okay. in. What is the maximum number of people that can be added to a Google group? How many emails can be sent in 24 hours? Sure thing. Um, so a Google group, I am not aware of a limit on Google groups. I am not aware of a limit. If there is one, it has to be really big, like really big, because I've been part of groups that have thousands of people in them. So I do not believe, I do not believe there's a limit 
on how many you can put in a Google group. That's kind of the whole point behind Google groups. Having said that, then, yes, that means when you send a message to that Google group, it really does just count as one email. It really does. I mean, it'll go to all those thousands of people, and it really counts as sending one message, um, which is great. Um, that's what gets you around that issue of running up against that limit. There are limits, um, and it's different. It depends. It depends on the version you're using. I'm sorry, I'm not going to remember what the limits are right now. Uh, but if you did like, you know, Gmail sending limits, there'll be uh, somewhere out there. There'll be, a, depending upon the type of account you have, like this one is saying, you know, uh, 2,000 emails a day. Um, but again, I don't know if this is personal. I have to look and see. There used to be a nice chart that mentioned personal versus uh, G Suite for Education versus G Suite Enterprise. And I'm not even sure which one I'm in right now, but that was just a quick Google, you know, search. Um, let me see if this is the one I was looking for. Uh, I don't know. Uh, oh, this one is saying um, 500 a day. That's probably for uh, personal accounts. And maybe the other one I was looking at 2000 might've been for um, work accounts. Um, so there are limits. You're going to have to, you know, check that. I apologize. I'm drawing a blank on what those are and they do change. It's a moving target. So, um, but um, oh, it does look like here we've got one saying 500 through normal Gmail. But if you're using uh, like a work account, uh, looks like it was 10,000. Oh, that's that's pretty good. Um, so um, so there are there are limits, but should not be affected by Google Groups at all. With that, that's um, that's the nice thing about about using Google Groups. All right. Very good. Well, we'll do another pass through uh, once we finish our final section and to see if anything else popped up. But our final section is show and tell. And so basically what this is, is what is something neat and new you've seen with uh, G Suite? Maybe it's something you're doing in your school. Maybe it's a great blog post you came across or a neat Chrome extension or podcast or whatever it might be. Stephanie and I have both thrown a lot of things into this over the last month and we're just going to take turns, you know, going back and forth, picking something off of here that we added in that we wanted to uh, share about. So uh, Stephanie, what is something that you'd like to start with? Um, I'll start with the me, myself, and I. So this is a Google slide. Um, it's just kind of a fun way to get to know your students. And there's just different topics that they have to cover throughout the Google slide. So here they have to take two photos. Um, they can't add their name. One is, you know, upfront photo and then one's like side by side. Then second slide, um, a lot of times, you know, students have unique names. And so students have to create a video and they have to just say their name. And that way you can hear their name so you can feel comfortable in class to say it. Um, I know I sometimes struggled with some of my students' names. So hearing it with video can also help. And plus there's a lot of research that if you call students by names, um, it helps build that relationship in a more powerful way. And so this teacher, he just created a ton of different ideas on how you could get to know your students with different topics. So I just thought it was really fun and it's never too late to build that relationship with your students. That is really neat. Looking down through here. Yeah, this is, this would be a great, uh, a great uh, format to follow 
to learn a lot more about your students than just some of the really basic things that uh, we collect normally. How? And then I think on the last slide, he has like, if you change all the backgrounds, um, you get lunch or something from him. So it was like the last slide that <laughs> the students have to find. Um, and then they get to kind of make their slideshow their own because like that white background is pretty boring, which I know you're going to cover later, Eric, with one of your shares. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So this allows students, you know, to add their own backgrounds and change the colors and that kind of stuff. And they're learning the Google skills in a powerful way through that relationship piece because they're learning how to insert images. They're learning how to change the font, the text. They're not, you don't have to teach students those skills. They can just do it on their own when it's applicable to their learning. Very nice. Um, and actually um, got to meet David um, back, oh, when was it? Back in, um, when, he be when he became a Google certified uh, innovator. Um, and I don't know if it was still a Google certified teacher back then or not, but it was in Chicago. Uh, and I was helping out with that one and I got a chance to meet him. He's a, he's a really neat guy. Uh, and if this is a recent picture of him with his side profile, I now have beard envy. Oh my gosh. What a, <laughs> that is just a, a, a legendary beard there. I've, uh, trimmed mine back a bit uh, from my um, really bushy period. So it's still got some length to it, but oh, man, that is, that's, a, that's a beard to love right there. All right. Well, thanks for sharing that one, Stephanie. I'm glad you found that. Um, uh, let me see. Next one, uh, these two go together. So I'll just mention them together. Uh, Dan Russell is from Google and Dan is part of their search team. And he does a lot of really neat stuff. If you've ever seen the power searching with Google online course. Uh, there's a Power Searching 1 and Power Searching 2. Dan Russell did that. Um, recently, I came across a few more of his resources. He did a video. Uh, it's about an hour, two hour, hour and a half long video. I can't remember, but it's pretty long. Uh, but it's all about advanced searching with Google. There's a link out to that. But what I thought was really neat was his, uh, his search research blog that um, he runs. Um, and I don't think I realized that he had this blog. And so um, it's, he, he posts, you know, periodically. Um, and each post really digs into the whole concept of doing better searching. And so he'll pose a question or several questions that maybe he had to deal with in his regular life. And he talks about how could we really search properly for this? How could we use all of the different Google tools to really, you know, tear this apart like he had a bug that he found in his backyard. And he goes, how would I figure out what that bug is? And he talks about the things that worked, the things that didn't work. And you know, there's this other, this, this item he needed to fix something that was broken in his house. He goes, where do you even begin finding that out? But he takes you through the whole process until he realizes here's how you can use the searching tools to really um, find what you're looking for. So um, definitely encourage people to check out Dan Russell's uh, search research blog. Else did you want to um, mention? I like the four ideas for promoting creative thinking. So this was by Meredith um, Akers. She's amazing. Oh, don't you love Meredith? I do love her. <laughs> yeah, I've gotten a chance to see Meredith a couple of times down in Texas. Uh, there's yeah. a conference that I, I tend to go to down there, and she is as awesome in person as you can even imagine, you know, from what she shares online. Yeah, and she's willing to share everything and yes. anything. Um, so if you scroll down a little bit, there's four activities that she really talks about. So there's the six word summary. 
So students have six words and they have a time limit and they have to write a summary about whatever you're teaching. These can be, you know, related to math, science, social studies, ELA, technology, anything that you're teaching. And then she also has like the class book. So every student has access to a Google slide deck and you create the front cover, cover and then students are assigned to one slide and then it kind of goes all together. And so then students can work together on that class book. And then there's emojis, which kids love. And so she's just said, you know, you can use different emojis to help um, explain different answers and help students with the discussions. And I really like this circle and squares idea. Um, so students have to take only circle and a square. They can change how it looks so that you can see her P's here. She just made those circles smaller, but all she used in her drawing was circles and squares and she made her squares rectangles. So it's having students think outside of the box and being those critical thinking. And she even included her template right below. And how could, I mean, you could use this for anything. Um, so, you know, draw a summary of what you learned only using circles and squares. And I think you can really see your creativity and your students begin to pop out. Love it. Oh, such good ideas, such good ideas. And that's the thing I love about Meredith is that she just shares, you know. Uh, and I think even this blog post, she had mentioned at the top, even questioning herself, do I really want to share this? Is this, you know, is this good enough to share? So I'm just going to put it out there. And that's, that's the mindset I would encourage everybody listening here to do. Just share the stuff you come up with, things, ideas that you have. Um, they're, they're, they're great and they're valuable and we can all learn from them. Good deal. Uh, let's see, something else I would grab out of here. Um, I think the Snack Vids um, site caught my eye. I thought it was pretty neat. It's a website to pull a transcript from a YouTube video. And there's a lot of ways to do that sort of thing. It's not like, oh, this is the only tool out there for that. There, there are certainly um, lots of tools that will grab the transcript and put it alongside or let you take notes or things like that. Uh, but this one wor works really well. Um, looks like I can, I'll just click on a sample video here, but basically you just paste in the link to the video and it pulls the transcript out and puts it down below and it will break it up into little clips as well. So rather than having to see the entire thing all at once, you can jump down through the different clips and I'll pause that and it'll bring you to that spot in the video and then below there it'll have the transcript and highlight that as it plays through the video. Uh, what's great is you can search the transcript to find the words you're looking for and then click on that to jump to that part of the video. Um, as well. So just a nice way to, again, take uh, content that you've got as a, as a YouTube video, but combine it with the transcripts so that people, whether it's a student who might have a difficult time, you know, hearing the video and being able to read that as well would be great, or just being able to read it while it is playing and the comprehension boost that you can get from seeing the text while seeing the video, while hearing it said, getting that in more than one way. Or like we said, just it's a long video and you just wanna find a, a certain spot in it. This would allow you to search through the transcript to find the spot that you're looking for. So one more in a big sea of different tools out there that will do things with YouTube uh, transcripts, but that one's called SnackVids. Yeah, I really like the search engine in that and how it highlights the word as it's playing the video. Excellent. All right, uh, another one that looked interesting to you or? Um, the parent conferencing, uh, the translator one, yep. that was pretty cool. So this I found, um, and it's a Google Sheet. If you scroll down a little bit, there you go. 
And you can see, you know, what the teacher said in English, and then you can see, you know, you can translate it right into the parent's language. And so I just thought this was kind of cool because I know EL students, it's a big barrier. And so now you're able to have a Google Sheet and you can see exactly the translation. Oh, that's clever. Yeah. Yeah, that is really, that's a neat use of that. I know we've had the ability to do translation in sheets, um, you know, for a long time. It's one of the, the formulas, but to see it implemented in a very practical way like this, how neat. So you got one side where you type, the other side where they type, and in the middle, it does, uses the translate formula after you've picked the language that you want to use. Sweet. Awesome. Neat stuff. All right. Other things that um, are of interest. Um, let's see. I would say, um, I think this is Meredith's as well. The Google Slides mystery reveal template. Yes, he I had a Meredith one as well. Uh, so uh, this is this is just really a, a cute, clever uh, tool. Let me get the uh, template here so that we can actually see it in action. I'm probably looking right at it. There it is. There's the link for the template. So basically what this is, is a Google slide template that just uses a clever method for revealing some hidden text. Um, and the way it basically works here is, the text is already there. So this box has the text in it. And if you just, the text happens to be the same color as the background. So if you click and highlight it, you'll see there is text there. And you're, you're supposed to, of course, type in your own text. You type in a question, you type in the answer, but because it's the same color as the background, you can't see it. Well, the clever thing is you've got this magnifying glass that when you drag it over here, the uh, text shows. Now, how's that happening? Well, it's because the magnifying glass is layered further behind the rest of the things in the slide. So if I start to move it over here, you can see that the border of this box is on top of the magnifying glass. The magnifying glass is a lower layer. And you can layer things by right-clicking on them and going to order, and you can bring them forwards or backwards. And so it's basically just been pushed back. It's behind things. So when I drag it over here, it slides behind the text and separates the text from the background because it's coming between the background and the text and suddenly you can see it now. So what a, what a neat, clever way to do that. Seems like a, a, a neat uh, activity that students would get a kick out of. All right, I have a few others that I was interested in. Uh, Stephanie, did you have any others? I didn't know if you had run out of the ones you were. I don't, I mean, I saw some of the ones that you had and I thought of those too. So go ahead. Well, um, absolutely. Let's see. Other ones that I thought were worth mentioning. Um, we have um, an add-on called Creator Studio. Uh, I don't usually mention things that cost money. Uh, so just heads up, this one does have a cost with it, but I love everything that TCEA does and uh, you know, they put out such good content. And so I said, well, if, if TCEA thinks this is worth looking at, let's take a look at it. And it is a nice um, add-on. Um, it is by um, a uh, add-on creator that I have used before for other things. So I also know him and his work. And so I'm like, okay, this is, some, this is you know, something that is valid. Uh, but basically what it is is an add-on that lets you take any Google slideshow and very easily spit it out as an animated GIF, an image sequence, an MP4 video file, or a video with audio. And so there's other tools that could do this but just to have it right there in your Google Slides as an add-on and just there's an animated GIF, there's a video file. 
is nice. So whether it's worth, I think it's like 35 bucks or something to buy, whether that's worth it for you or not, uh, not for me to say, because again, I'm always about free things, but it seemed like it was clever enough that somebody may say, hey, for me, that's worth it to have that. Uh, the next one in here is uh, something I posted here recently, uh, which is on Google Slides templates. Um, so uh, it's called Spice Up Your Slides with 600 plus free design templates. It's actually more than that now. I think it's up to 700 plus even since I posted it because I ended up adding another one that somebody suggested. Uh, real quick, we'll just keep this real quick and simple. The idea is, you know, when you go to create a Google Slideshow, and I'll just go ahead and make a blank slide here. So we'll just do slides.new. Uh, when you create a blank slideshow, there's not a lot of design templates to choose from. Over here on the right, you see these themes. And I don't know, there's, you know, what, 20-ish or so. There's not, there's not many. And they're fine. That's great. It's nice to have these as a way to say, oh, I want my slideshow to be a little bit more interesting than just, you know, white background and black text. And so this will allow you to gussy it up a little bit. But that's it. You only have, you know, a couple dozen of those. Well, it turns out there are a bunch of websites that create... Uh, slides design templates and they're free and you can use them. Probably the one that was the best known as Slides Carnival. It's been around for a long, long, long time. They have over 130 templates there. Um, and the idea is you would go out to the site, you would find one that looks interesting to you. When you find one, you go, oh, that's a cool one. I want to try that out. You can get a little preview, click through and say, yeah, actually that one would fit perfectly. That would be just what I need for my presentation I'm going to do. Almost every one of these sites works exactly the same. You look through the templates, you find one you like, and then there's gonna be a button somewhere that says, use as a Google Slides theme. And all that's gonna do is let you make a copy of it. That's pretty much it. So here it is, you click use template or make a copy, depending on how they've linked it in. And basically that's it. It makes a copy of that slideshow and the idea is you now would go through and fill in your content in place of it. So now I have this giant slideshow with 29 slides in it. And the idea is I would put in my title for my presentation. And then I wouldn't keep all of them. I'd say, you know, uh, I don't really need this particular one. So I might delete some of these out. And then other ones I may say, oh, I want to use this one over and over again, you know. So uh, this quotation, I need to use that again. So I just hit duplicate. And now I put one quote on this slide and a different one on the duplicate. Um, that's the idea is it's just going to give you the jump start with a bunch of filler text. You fill in your own stuff delete what you don't need, duplicate what you need, three or four copies of. There's usually some icons at the end that you can use as well. Um, the point of all of this, what I'm driving at here, is that Slides Carnival, I love it, but it's not the only one out there. There's actually a lot of these. Slides Mania is one I did not know about, and somebody shared that with me after I had posted this, so I went back and added it. Wow, Slides Mania rocks. They have got some really cool stuff. It's not just the design themes. They have a bunch of them that are also very specifically organized, like for uh, a school planner or a back to school slideshow or um, three different ones that are full of graphic organizers for you to modify. So really nice. And then there's others, you know, as you go down the list here, you'll see, you know, they have, you know, dozens or hundreds 
of uh, design templates here. And so if you're wanting to make your slideshow stand out a little bit, you're getting tired of them all looking the same, you now have over 700 technically, uh, over 700 uh, design theme templates out there. And uh, just visit these sites, make copies of what you like, and then uh, use that for your next uh, presentation to make it jump out a little bit. Good stuff. Yeah, thanks for putting those all together, Eric, because I oh, found like a Twitter um, thread that they were talking about all the different templates. And I was like, someone just needs to organize this into one <laughs> spot. So thank you. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's something I've been meaning to do for a while. And it's just been a insanely busy summer. And so that was on the back burner, but I'm trying to move some stuff off the back burner and get them cooking again. So there should be lots more to come, but uh, yeah. Um, and again, I have a few other things I can mention. Something else there, Stephanie, that you wanted to toss I out? I think the portfolios, that one should be kind of pointed out. Because um, um, someone from the chat just added those resources in. And it's such a great hack to know how to get a Google site to be editable by students and their own copy. Because you right. can't just put it into Classroom. And you can't force a copy that way. Mm -hmm. so there is a hack on this website of the Sons of Technology. Right. And you can just go in and you can share the folder in Classroom. So put your Google site into a folder, share that viewable folder with students. They click the link and then they have to do the two clicks um, to make a copy of that site. And then now they can have the, all the template laid out for them and then they can customize it for their needs. Yeah, and um, and yeah, this is from Joe Marquez, and and uh, this is a wonderful hack for right now. And I say for now because I, I'm imagining eventually we're going to get the option to just you know make a to let people make copies of Google Sites that are templates. I mean, Google has said that they've mentioned that that's in the roadmap. That with new sites, there will be an option to have a template gallery that your school can manage and the people can just make copies from the template gallery. But until that happens, yeah, this is a great workaround to do it through a Google Drive folder instead and put the site in the folder and then make a copy from there. Um, and I'm glad they mentioned that. Uh, yeah, these other two were ones I had come across that just were portfolio stuff in general. Um, the first one here is a uh, portfolio being done with um, Google uh, Sheets instead. So instead of sites, this one uses Google Sheets, and it's a portfolio where the students are really, it's up to them to keep track of things. So the students are keeping track of their readings and their reflection on it. And then the students are keeping track of the activities they've completed and the students are keeping track of their uh, assessments as they've been graded based upon what standards they relate to. So the teacher's still grading things, but it's up to the student to manage their own grade book where they're going in and, and keeping track of all of these things they're doing, which really puts a lot of ownership on the student and involvement in, you know, uh, it's it, the, the uh, I love the quote. I think this is from Ramsey, I believe. Is this, uh, I think this, yeah, I believe this is Ramsey's site. Um, and uh, yeah, uh, and he, uh, he said that instead of students coming up to him, asking them, what's my grade? The only thing they ask is, you know, is something graded yet? You know, because they are managing their own grades. They're tracking all of that. And then, then, then Ramsey, Ramsey can go in and click on any student's sheet and see everything all in one place. So I thought that was a neat twist on the portfolio. And then the other one was using um, Google Sites 
for portfolios. And this one I think was from Mike Muhammad, I believe. I think this is Mike's site. Yeah, Mo, Mo, Mo Physics. And he's got uh, his uh, uh, methods for using Google Sites for students to collect all of their evidence together and do a portfolio. So just a few portfolio things have popped up this month. And so I put them in there and I think that's fantastic. We got Joe Marquez's information in there as well. Um, last couple things worth mentioning. Um, Steve Wick had a really nice post about using Google Drawings to engage students. I'm a big fan of Google Drawings. So anytime I see something that's drawings related, I always want to mention it. So Steve was talking about uh, creating what uh, Tony Vincent calls a shape gram, which is basically a Google Drawing where you're putting, um, actually let me open up an example here. Uh, there we go. It's basically creating a Google drawing where you've got all the pieces of the activity ready to go. It's kind of like a hyperdoc, but a hyperdrawing, I guess. Um, and you know, you've got your canvas, and then on each side you've got videos, and you've got activities to drag and drop onto there, like little self-contained uh, learning activities. So basically, uh, twist on hyperdocs as as a drawing there. Um, Bookmarks in Chrome might seem like a pretty basic thing. We all bookmark things all the time, but it is so helpful to be aware of things you can do with bookmarks that folks just don't realize they can do. And so uh, this blog post does a nice job, I thought, of explaining the idea of not just, hey, here's how you bookmark, but after you bookmark, what can you do with them? And it's some of the hacks most of us are familiar with, but not everybody is, like creating folders on your address, on your bookmark bar to organize bookmarks in there, or deleting the title of the bookmark and just leaving the icon, the, 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 the favicon for it um, behind and say, oh, I don't need the actual title of the bookmark. I can tell just by the icon what it is. So it's just some of those simple little hacks, but I thought they were worth uh, mentioning there. All right, um, throw that back over to you, Stephanie. Um, I don't know, was there any others in there that you had wanted to draw attention to? Well, I think I covered all the ones that I wanted to, but there was a question in the chat box. Okay. So Alex asks, um, is anyone seeing embedded YouTube videos in Google Slides not loading properly to play? I have not. Um, and then he said he's seen it twice in the last two weeks with shared presentations and shared drive. And Dan said he has not and he just tested and it was working fine for him. So I don't know if he got a Wi-Fi like filter. Well, up. boy. Yeah. What could be causing that issue? I mean, if it's something that, you know, was working and then stopped working, um, yeah, I think that would be a reasonable thing to start with is thinking about filtering issues. You know, are you somewhere that it's being filtered? Uh, but boy, it could be a lot of things. The fact that it's in a shared drive, I wonder if there's any impact on that rather than being just a regular Google Drive slideshow that has been shared. But shared drives are, of course, now what we call team drives. Uh, now we call them shared drives. And I know sometimes the, you know, those can be a little bit finicky with the additional permissions that are set on there. I'm sorry, Alex, I do not have any experience with that. Um, yeah. So if there's more details and if anybody else in the group has had experience with that, uh, that would be good to see. But because no, I, the, I have not. He said the videos were from YouTube. Hmm. All right. Um, so no, I'll, nothing that I think I could add to that. Um, says even teachers with their own presentations have seen it. Huh. 
Well, let's throw that out to the group. If people have come across YouTube videos not playing properly in Google Slides, um, I haven't seen that. The only time I've ever run into that is when it is a filtering thing. Like I'll be doing a training at a district somewhere and I'll be going through my slideshow and I'll get to a slide with a video and like, oops, uh, and suddenly it won't play because um, their Wi-Fi has a filter on it that is blocking that video for whatever reason. All right. Well, we'll do this. Let me give a little wrap up um, on some reminders here and we'll do a quick uh, scan through the document as well and see if there's any you know, questions or comments or anything that we missed. But uh, while, while uh, Stephanie takes a, a last look through the, the chat and the comments and so forth, um, just wanna remind a couple, people of just a couple of really basic quick things. One is, um, we do ask you to please sign in to the meeting. So in the Google Doc agenda for the meeting, there is a section called important links and there is a sign in form. If you joined us late, you might've missed us talking about that at the beginning. So I did wanna just mention it one more time. This sign in form, well, it's a very simple Google form that asks for your contact info, the date of the meeting, um, whether or not this was your first time ever attending one. Uh, what I do is I generate a PDF um, that I send to you that has a certificate of attendance for the meeting. Uh, so you can turn that in to, to your PD committee if, if you need hours. But then I also share numbers, not names and email addresses, but I share numbers with Google of how many people took part in the meeting and whether it was their first meeting or not, because Google does ask that we collect that information. So I did wanna uh, get that back on people's radar. Um, and then other than that, just remind you that everything uh, can be found on our GEG Ohio website, which is at bit.ly slash GEG Ohio. I'll go ahead and bring that back up here again. Um, the GEG Ohio website at bit.ly slash GEG Ohio includes links out to the um, email Google group that you can join, as well as our old Google Plus community page. Uh, there's also a link on here for our monthly meetings, and uh, this includes uh, the dates and times for those, uh, the agenda link, and the live video stream uh, link as well for those. Um, do check back before, uh, as we get close to these dates, sometimes we have to adjust them. I think the October 31st one is good to go, but sometimes things come up, you know, Stephanie and I both have, uh, you know, uh, trainings and things we have to do, and sometimes things come up and we have to move things around. If so, we'll do our best to make those adjustments on the site as quickly as possible if something is going to change. Uh, but hopefully we'll uh, pick up, you know, next month on October 31st uh, to wrap up everything that happened during October. Uh, so Stephanie, anything else uh, to share? Um, just remember to join the Twitter group and add to the notes next month. Um, I really enjoyed hearing from the community, so that was great. And then also share out the podcast. Absolutely. And the so, recording of the video. Very, very good. So thanks again to everybody for taking some time out of your day to either watch this live or watch the recording. Um, please stay connected with us at bit.ly slash Ohio. And until next month, we'll communicate with you uh, through the community group and through the email group. Please feel free to ask questions and post. Uh, I will change this document from edit to comment uh, shortly after our meeting. So just heads up, uh, we will make that change to the document, but you can always add comments to the document even after we do uh, complete the meeting. So thanks to Stephanie so much for everything she's done to help with this. And thanks to everybody for being here. We will see you next month. Thanks, Thank you. Eric.